sounds of ceremony in Hong Kong today, where it is already Friday and July the 1st marks the 25th anniversary of Britain handing over control of its then colony to China back in 1997. Events there are unfolding under heavy security. Chinese President Xi Jinping traveled to the city, his first trip outside of mainland China in nearly 900 days to give you a sense of the importance of the day. Uh, seen by some as a victory tour after Beijing tightened its control of Hong Kong with a sweeping national security law following mass pro-democracy protests back in 2019. In his comments today, President Xi said, quote, after reuniting with the motherland, Hong Kong people became the masters of their own city. Hong Kong's true democracy started from here. You may find someone in Hong Kong who would disagree with that. It comes as China continues to expand its influence and exert its control over the business hub, home to 7.5 million people, clamping down on freedoms it had promised to uphold for 50 years back in 1997 after taking sovereignty over the territory. Now, Hong Kong residents still enjoy greater autonomy and more civil liberties than other uh, Chinese residents on the mainland, but many protests are now banned. Pro-democracy newspapers openly critical of the government have been forced to close and China's grip on civil society continues to tighten. So what does this anniversary symbolize? What does the future hold? Joining me now is Diana Larry. She's a professor emerita at the Department of History at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Good evening. So oh, good, looking good. back, oh, go ahead. Or good morning. No, I was <laughs> good morning, just going to say the, the thing that strikes me at once is that um, reading the news from Hong Kong, where it's already tomorrow, already July the first, uh, they're dealing with. Uh, driving rain and the fringes of um, a typhoon. And it's yes. exactly the same kind of weather that they had 25 years ago. So one phrase that yeah. comes to mind is raining on my parade, right? It, oh, <laughs> absolutely. I've spent, I've spent time there and in the area. Yes. Uh, typhoons are common, but this is the first one of the year, or the, sort of the edges of well, it, as I you mentioned. I don't think it's going to hit Hong Kong, but, you know, if it's right. just close by, the, the rain is really appalling. Um, you know, th- it is <laughs> that, that you mentioned it. Looking back at those images of twenty-five years ago, I guess yes. at the time there was this expectation that the handover would 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 sort of usher in a new era for not for just for Hong Kong but for China too. That twenty-five years later we might see a more liberal Hong Kong and a more liberal China. We haven't seen either. Uh, what are your thoughts on this anniversary? Uh, where is Hong Kong now, and where is it headed? I know that's a vast question, but well, in. In the very large scheme of things, I've always believed in Hong Kong, and it's been through so many tremendous ups and downs, and I just can't believe that this is the last one. But this is also a very sad time, because the the law that you mentioned, the national security law, trumps all other laws. So, uh, in effect, the rule of law has virtually uh, disappeared We've got a former policeman in charge uh, who is a man of apparently completely no persona at all, um, Mr. John Lee. I mean, what? And the outlook for Hong Kong is pretty bleak at the moment, but the same is true of China. I mean, I feel just as sad that China is going through this return to the idea of having one supreme leader who was rule forever and uh, who has to be feared as much as anything else. So I think it's it's a pretty sad picture. The only thing that's not sad is that out of this, once again, Canada will get another 
excellent um, stream of uh, immigrants. Stroke, well, they're not really refugees, but they are leaving Hong Kong because of how little future they see for themselves there. And uh, they come with all kinds of skills, which are very important to this to this um, country. And the sad thing, of course, is that many of them are young. It's the young who are leaving now. Yeah, did it surprise you? It surprised me to a certain extent, having spent enough time in Beijing and, and time in Hong Kong as well, and, and just always noticing what a vast difference there was between the two places, even though it may be harder to describe if you don't live in either one. But uh, the speed with which the crackdown happened uh, was, to me, surprising. Well, I think the the demonstrations before COVID completely spooked not just um, Beijing, but also a lot of the older people in Hong Kong, especially the sort of business elite, who caved in 100% or 150% to to Beijing's wishes. Um, I think the COVID has been, I mean, whatever else one thinks about COVID, COVID has enabled uh, and justified any kind of... uh, government regulations and rules, and the Hong Kong ones are particularly strict at the moment and continue to be so, although without actually solving the COVID problem because they've also had a lot of COVID. And the two things combined, uh, you know, you couldn't, uh, if you want to please people and if you want to keep people under strict control all the time, uh, a pandemic is, is sadly to say a very good time to do it. That being said, when Hong Kong, because a lot of the the security law came into place uh, just before the pandemic, that the pandemic hit, and now we see uh, the results of uh, of the security law as well. At some point here, Hong Kong will reemerge. Uh, it will become a more free place with which to move around. And and uh, one gets the impression because we used to go, of course, go there for the anniversary of Tiananmen Square uh, yes. on June the fourth because there were there were parties there. Of course, there parties there. There were there were events to mark that day. There, it is completely uh, blocked out in China. <clears throat> there was also, of course, a free press to some extent. Um, you know, it wasn't ideal, but there was lots of uh, lots of good journalism going on in that in in Hong Kong. When Hong Kong reemerges from this COVID time, one gets the impression it's going to be a very different place. And I just can't picture it. I can't picture Hong Kong not being that chaotic, vibrant place that it has been for quite a while now. Well, one possibility, I'm, I'm an, an eternal optimist, is that not just Hong Kong, but the whole Cantonese world, which is the province of Guangdong, and also a lot of the overseas community, will one day when Beijing is not so determined to stamp its control, that that whole area might um, not quite go out on its own, but have the the essential vibrancy that was Hong Kong. It's also very Cantonese, right? The, you can't separate the one from the other. And I, uh, that's always terrified Beijing. And the most amazing thing with uh, the Canton region being the leading economic engine of reform. They don't have a single person on the Central Committee, for instance. There's no power representation in Beijing at all at the moment for any Cantonese. And we're talking about, you know, certainly over 100 million people, which anywhere else would be a significant country. But the big thing now is to see whether 
they can't do much at the moment with with um, with Beijing so toughly in charge. But how long that will last in China itself, uh, one doesn't know. One only knows that one will be surprised with what does happen. Uh, one thing is watching China for a long while and having lived there for a long while, predictions are very dangerous because you can just yes. make yourself look stupid. Yes, I was once told that enjoy your first six months in China while you still think you know anything about it. That was why, that was a famous piece of advice. <laughs> well, that's that the I other given. thing that's so wonderful is that you never get to the end of things that are of interest in China. It's just no. endlessly fascinating. And I Hong do Kong believe is, that yeah. Hong Kong will bounce back, but it'll be different. And everything is different now. And of course, the technology is a huge part of this. The, the, the fact that Using cell phones, the government authorities can can uh, have some kind of check on everybody. And again, we've all gone along with that quite willingly. Uh, you know, we all we can all presumably, if Tim Hortons can check up on us, uh, government can as well. So that the you know everybody in China now is controlled also by their cell phones. They are. You know, it is a. They um, have, uh, I- it's it's quite terrifying. It's far beyond 1984. It, I once asked why, how come our the cell phones that we back then even how come your cell phone worked everywhere you went? Didn't matter how rural it was, especially in the Beijing area, your cell phone never stopped working. And I was reminded that it wasn't because they wanted us to have good phone service necessarily. I'm speaking with Diana Larry. She's a professor emerita of, of the Department of History at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about today or tomorrow at least. It's already tomorrow in Hong Kong marks yes. the 25th anniversary of the hand over of Hong Kong to China. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about what impact this could have on Hong Kong's status as a global financial center. Will it stay that way in the years to come? That's next. My guest this half hour is Diana Lowry. She's a professor emerita in the Department of History at the University of British Columbia. We're speaking about the uh, anniversary today in Hong Kong of the handover of Hong Kong to China by Britain. It's 25 years. Um, Diana, the Hong Kong has long been a global financial center. Uh, do you think it will survive as such, given the uh, the crackdown that we're seeing from Beijing? Well, I'm probably not a good person since I have zero, almost zero <laughs> financial experience, except I did predict that Bitcoin wouldn't last. But other than that, um, it's going to change dramatically. For one thing, being an international center up until now has been having a lot of foreigners living there, usually in Hong Kong, called expats, who have enjoyed a very lovely life. But that's changing. But they're very expensive to their home countries. And they're also deeply resentful now about the continuing virtual... And it's not a lockdown in Hong Kong, but the the quarantining and the restrictions and apparently uh, more and more expats are leaving, as are... Uh, relatively young people, uh, they may be possible to replace them from uh, the mainland, and I'm sure that's part of the intention. But the idea of being global and international now doesn't necessarily mean people actually having to live in one place. I mean, we've all got used to people just not working in offices. So, um you know, I mean, everybody has, you never, you don't know where people are now. And if they're prepared to do strange hours, they can often be working from Vancouver, yeah. but uh, for a Hong Kong company, 
Or, and no. I had dinner with a student the other day who's doing exactly that. He's not on vacation because he's working through the night in Vancouver, in Hong Kong, so to speak. Right, and I then, suppose people could so do that. I don't yeah. know how long that will continue with the, the, the idea that people have to be in a place for it to be an, an international thing. The one important thing is the rule of law, because a lot of the business world depends on uh, you know, contracts being safe and um, the kind of thing that the common law uh, the, the, the provides for people. Obviously, one part of that has disappeared in Hong Kong completely uh, with the national security law. And whether that affects uh, commercial law or not, I don't think anybody would be very certain about it. Um, not just contracts, but also long-term um, commitments. There's a very strange thing happening now with uh, Macau, Hong Kong's neighbor, which depends almost entirely on gambling. <laughs> and suddenly, um, China or Beijing is reminding the gambling companies in Hong Kong that gambling is illegal in China, and Macau is now actually part of China. So when you get a sort of little bit of a shock like that, uh, you, you you realize how completely dependent in some ways uh, both the commercial world is on Beijing. I noticed today that uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was talking about uh protecting Hong Kong or, you know, standing up for Hong Kong. It does feel now, though, that there's very little that anyone around the world can say or do to change China's course when it comes to how it decides what it wants to do and what it, what's in its best interests when it comes to the future of Hong Kong. Yeah, I think you have to, again, I'm always sort of slightly skeptical about um, the general feeling, which is quite common here as well, that what China wants, China gets. Um Certainly the British, one has to say, never really stood up for Hong Kong people's rights at all. Uh, there was a certain, except, ironically, the very last governor, Chris Patton. Uh, but Ch China, the, the big changes in, uh, within China have all been from within. Uh, and they, the idea that they can, that they uh, will continue to operate in a, an unchanging way, that's quite wrong too. And it's not, it's only in, in people's lifetimes now that China was just convulsed by the Cultural Revolution, uh, which was entirely self-inflicted. Um, I, The idea that people just have to put up with China, I think is, um, well, I think it's, it's just a bit self-serving because you don't actually, not really self-serving, you don't get much out of it. And, China's not always sure what China wants itself. No, I mean even in, even in my fifty-year lifetime, uh, from the death of Mao to the end of the to the cultural the end of the uh, of the Cultural Revolution to the death of Mao to the absolute transformation of the country as an economic superpower uh, to what we see now under Xi Jinping, uh, even in, in a short period of time, history tends to move quickly yes. uh, in China. Yeah, uh, Diana Larry, thank you so much for your thoughts. Oh, go well, ahead. Well, it's very Please interesting to talk to you. Thank you very much.